0: You're listening to the Film Fix podcast, where film buffs get their fix. With your host Jeff Marker and Jonathan Hickman. Jeff, this is the Film Fix. It is. Yeah. I'm Jeff Marker. This is Jonathan Hickman with me. I turned it around this week.
1: I am. I know. I know. What the heck? Uh, Lots of movies opening. You know, the thing is, it's now really, really getting into the swing of the season that is for awards.
0: Oh, it's great. Yeah, and now we're getting, this is this is the best time of year for for us. We've gotten a couple of of, uh, of screeners. We have, already. yeah, yeah. Um, they're they're none, beginning they're to trickle none. in. No. We, ha- we haven't had the deluge yet, so do so you mm-hmm. want to go ahead and preview some of the things we're going to be talking about?
1: Yeah, this week uh, we're going to talk about Doctor Strange, so we'll get into another Marvel incarnation. Because we have uh, to. Hacksaw Ridge opens this week, that's the Mel Gibson film, um, we'll review that. Uh, Loving. That's a Jeff Nichols film. We teased that on the last film, uh, Fix. And Jeff Nichols, uh, is, is the word elucidating? Uh, is that what that is? It can that, be. Yeah, sure. I think it, yeah. it probably was quite elucidating um, <laughs> as my film education continues. And that was wonderful. And I'll also talk about Inferno because it's still out. It bombed. It was an international hit, which I guess is going to keep the series alive. Um, barely.
0: Uh, yeah, I can't believe that one's still limping along.
1: And we're going to hear uh, from Ruth Nega and Joel, Joel Edgerton. I interviewed them when they were in Atlanta on the, ch- uh, the press junket about loving. And so when we're talking about loving, we'll hear some comments from them about their characters. So to kick things off, I think we should start with Doctor Strange. Sure, why not? So here's a clip. Doctor
2: Strange. You think you know how the world works? What if I told you? The reality you know is one of many. This doesn't make any sense. Not everything does. Not everything has to. Through the mystic arts, We harness energy, and shape reality. We travel great distances, in an instant. How do I get from here to there? How did you become a doctor? Study and practice, years of it. There's a strength to him. But is he ready? For which paths you travel down, Strange, stronger men than you have lost their way.
1: Jeff, this is a wacky little project.
0: Well, first of all, it's not a little project. Um, you know, I guess but, by Marvel
1: standards it is. Well,
0: maybe. Um, there's a whole lot of CGI involved. Uh, you got some big darn stars in it. They just keep chugging out. Are, are uh, you know chugging along with the with these Marvel movies? The the book on this one is supposed to be, and you can you can tell me whether they this comes to fruition or not. This is supposed to be new territory for the Marvel Cinematic Universe because it's magic. It's not necessarily someone uh, sort, sort of born with superpowers or made that way by science or no, no metal suits and things like. that. Well they're that.
1: sorcerers. they're trying to he's trying to become the sorcerer supreme. Right. And I'd never read this book. I mean I was a big Marvel fan. Uh, I barely read Iron Man and that ended up being
0: one of their biggest hits. Well, lo and behold, there's a lot of anticipation for this, and so so is it distinct from the other Marvel movies? Is my first question.
1: It it's smaller, and uh, it doesn't involve a, a city crumbling to nothing. Although there is certain enough, there's certainly enough destruction. Although it plays with the timeline in a way that sort of makes that acceptable in sort of magic terms. Well, uh, as long as... The it, death the death toll is, is hard to quantify because of the way it, it it manipulates time. Oh, okay.
0: Well, as long as the universe isn't in peril, that's at least a starting point, right? Well, the that's universe little...
1: is in peril. Oh, There's some well, kind of okay. dark power that is on its way. And I will say this, in a minor way, it reminded me of um, Green Lantern. Of course, Green Lantern's a DC project in that there is this whole other world, other, I guess, universe. I don't even, I don't even know if you call it a universe, but he, he goes into, you know when Ant-Man kind of goes into the subatomic? Right. You know, and it's all that kind of freaky stuff. Well, you get that in this as well. Okay. And then, you know, there's the, the whole inception thing as well. So let's set it up, okay? Benedict Cumberbatch plays Dr. Stephen Strange, and he is a very arrogant, very talented uh, neurosurgeon who uh, takes amazing cases and does amazing things with his hands. It is, he's so steady. You know, at one point they say, oh, you're not going to do that freehand. I can and I will. (laughs) You know, and he has that, he has a kind of a voice. You know, we know that um, Benedict Cumberbatch from uh, Sherlock, we just love him. He's just, he's just awesome. Well, he adopts this, this American accent, and he's very good. He's, he's very convincing, mm-hmm. but it's hard to shake it at first because he's he's almost doing the Hugh Laurie, you know. Gotcha. He's giving us this, this, this American accent, and it's so good, it's almost freakishly, it's almost too good, you know. <laughs> and so... He um, he's working in a hospital, he wants something greater, he's very wealthy. Uh, at one point they say he spends money as fast as he can make it, which is pretty obvious. He's driving home or driving to an event, a speaking engagement uh, after being in uh, surgery, and he's uh, sort of texting at the same time, driving at a very crazy rapid speed, has an accident. His hands are terribly damaged and he doesn't lose a Don't finger text drive. or anything you know yeah don't text and drive exactly right this is a good no texting and driving commercial (laughs) although it's not nearly as good as all these texting and driving commercials have you seen the one with the they're like in hell and the little girl is running around and she keeps saying oh well it was a very important text you know and then she opens her little shirt up and the the phone is stuck inside her and she rips it out and starts oh you don't even have reception in this place you
0: know I didn't mean to make light of that at all by the way oh no no I find it it interesting
1: humor goes along way because it gets to the heart of the matter. And that commercial, just to take a complete diversion, that commercial with the little girl who's texting and all is very sad commercial. It really, really is good. And the whole campaign is wonderful. Um, Dr. Strange extends that a bit because (laughs) he horribly injures his hands, as only a person's hands would be injured in the movies you know they still look like hands you know they still have fingers and fingernails and everything he doesn't
0: lose any part of them he doesn't lose a finger
1: or anything you know i mean that might be you know there's a scene where he says well i i can't use my hands so i can't be a sorceress and then some sorcerer undoes his cloak and he has no hand and yet he's still a good sorcerer so not that i'm giving anything away but i did spoil that scene for you uh, in time, he uh, exhausts all medical knowledge and procedures, and his own his own knowledge, and he has to look to something beyond medicine. And that beyond medicine is the uh, the metaphysical world, the uh, the spirit world. Sure. You know, using the spirit to heal the body and all of that. And so he goes to Kathmandu, and he comes in contact with a certain character called the old one or the, the ancient, ancient one yeah That's so it, this the is the where i one. want to interrupt and ask Yeah, a please of
0: so so first of all not only is marvel packaging this as a slightly different kind of story for it's a them, little whitewashed, this yeah. cast you know this is not what you expect from a, a superhero movie you know mm-hmm. you would for Rachel McAdams or she shows up and everything but benedict wong Mads Mikkelsen, Tilda Swinton, Michael Stoberg, you know. These are some really great character actors, and you would never have imagined they'd be in, a, in a, an action movie. So that's interesting. But, and I have to preface this by saying, I adore Tilda Swinton. I think oh, she's yes. one of our greatest actors. What in the world have they done casting her? in this role. That is the main criticism and the whitewashing accusation. How is this not yellowface? Uh, well, the
1: well, no, she's described as being Celtic in the movie and the idea is that even though they are <laughs> I understand.
0: Nobody in any period of Celtic history has dressed no, like that. Come no, it's totally
1: on. ridiculous. But there is this idea in it that cuts across all race and uh, gender and time and age and everything. And the idea is that the spirit is a universal. The spirit knows no race, gender, uh, or anything. They don't ever broach that, but I did get that impression that's what they were striving for. And, you know, I mean, these are actors that can certainly pull off anything. Um, luckily, they don't try to manipulate the face of any actor uh, to truly do Yellow Face. Um, Benedict Wong is, uh, you know, he, he's excellent. I remember he he played uh, uh, he was in Marco Polo. Did you ever see that uh, sure, Netflix? Yeah. And uh, he was unbelievably intimidating in that. And he is he's very good in this. Um, I, I, I he was one of the more enjoyable characters. Chiuatell Ego Four is pretty tortured in the movie, and he's. Um, You know, you got to love him, but he just plays. plays, He plays everything with such conviction Mm -hmm. that it's a little bit heavy, almost to the point of being drek. And then uh, no one could be a more horrible villain than Mads Mikkelsen, (laughs) and um, yet he's the sub villain, the actual villain, as is a lot in these Marvel things. The actual villain is a computer-generated force that is like the universe itself, you know, but it has a face, okay? <laughs> you know, it has this kind of, like, face that comes out of the stars and the darkness or wherever the hell he goes
0: to. You don't it. have one of those? That was, that was the latest MacBook Pro. was oh, that, that what it was? That is <laughs> what it was. So is this, I mean, does it stand out? Is, is this worth taking a look at?
1: Well, I think that what's happening with Marvel is they're running out of planets to destroy and... They can't, they can't up the stakes any more than they already have. Right. Uh, unless they say, well, now you're messing with time itself, which they've kind of done in the, Mar- in the uh, X-Men films. And particularly if you look at the Logan trailer that has come out, which is absolutely intriguing.
0: Which I plan to reference later
1: on. I, and so I think, that, I think that there is a reason to see this in order to uh, continue your education of the Marvel Cinematic Universe as opposed to the Marvel comic universe, which the two are are pretty much diverging in many significant ways, uh, not only in casting and that kind of thing, but also just in how they connect with one another. So uh, there are several um, epilogue elements, tags, if you will, at the end that sort of hint around at the interaction of this character and its place, his place, in the whole cinematic universe. So to that extent, that's a good thing. Um, no, Spider-Man does not make an uh, appearance. Not that I could tell. So I'll just say that right there. Um, so next year we're going to get the Spider-Man homecoming. We're going to get, uh, the Thor film and we're going to get the, are we getting Black Panther? What do we get next year? There's Uh, one other. How soon is Guardians 2 coming? Guardians 2. That's it. So it'll go Guardians 2, then it will go Spider-Man and then we will get the, um, the Thor film uh, Ragnarok mm-hmm. or whatever so so those I think that one's coming in November so the summer film for Marvel is probably sp- the reboot of Spider-Man which after uh, Civil War I, I'm I'm intrigued I want to see that one so uh, because I, I was really moved in Civil War by the whole Spider-Man character because that was my personal favorite Marvel character next to Wolverine of course Uh, And, of course, we're going to get Logan next year, too. But that one isn't sort of on the radar because it's kind of detached from all of this. You know, I heard I uh, I was meeting with some critics uh, when we saw Doctor Strange. We all had beers uh, before the uh, screening, and the, the crew is getting larger you know we've got these new critics that have come on and one critic said something to the effect of oh well logan is what you can do when you know that the actor and the character is probably going to be gone for a while yeah. you know so you can kind of take that risk and you everything's unstuck in time so you can it looks almost apocalyptic so so yeah i give a a fixed rating to doctor strange only because i i think that it, it stays small enough to uh, hold my interest, and the character is interesting enough, I think, to um, to warrant being in, in a future film or a future incarnation. He is much less, he's more arrogant than, say, a- Ant-Man is. He is more on par with um, Tony Stark than he is on par with, say, Ant-Man. Mm-hmm. Ant-Man's more everyman. Uh, whereas Tony Stark and Dr. Strange or Stephen Strange, Dr. Stephen Strange, they are more you know, elitist. They're, they're up there. Right. And so they, they would be the guy you want to be. But the guy that you probably would want to aspire to would be uh, Ant-Man. To me, I, I like that character best of all. And the more, I, the more I think about Ant-Man, the more I like what they did with the character. So it's a fixed rating for that. Opening this week also is the Mel Gibson film hacksaw ridge let's uh let's listen to a clip what the hell is your delay captain
2: we're waiting sir
1: waiting for what
2: private dos
3: who the hell
1: is private dos
2: i always dreamed about being a
0: doctor but uh didn't get much school
3: i can't stay here
0: while all them go fight for me you figure this war is just going to fit in with your ideas? While everybody else is taking life, I'm going to be saving it. That's going to be my way to serve.
2: This is a personal gift from the United States government designed to bring death to the enemy. I'm sorry, Sergeant.
1: I can't touch a gun.
2: You don't kill. No, sir. You know, quite a bit of killing does occur in war.
1: Private Doss does not believe in violence. Do not look to him to save you on the
2: battlefield. I don't think this is a question of religion. I think this is cowardice. I fell in love with you because you weren't like anyone else.
0: you are saying you could go to prison. But I don't
2: know how I'm gonna live with myself if I don't stay true to what I believe. With the world so set on tearing itself apart, it
1: doesn't seem like such a bad thing to me to want to put a little bit of it back together. This story, Jeff, is very well known to anyone who has any, I guess, who is a history buff or knows about World War II and the whole conscientious objector thing. Mm -hmm. The story is so unbelievable that it has to be true. It's one of those stories that you could not write and sell if you were a writer. If you, were, if you were a screenwriter trying to sell it. You seem you,
0: too over-the-top, too just, unbelievable. It's just unbelievable.
1: Yeah. I mean, here you have a guy whose father is a World War One hero who certainly participated in some awful, bloody, violent stuff, who is um, very racked with that and is an alcoholic. His brother, uh, this Desmond Dawes' his brother, is a um, very handsome man of action, volunteers, goes to World War II, uh, certainly is going to carry a gun. His mother, played by Rachel Griffiths, by the way, who I just love and she's wonderful in the film, Andrew Garfield plays Desmond Dawes, is a woman that is abused by a man who's an alcoholic and sort of a person who's a victim of war but came home alive. Desmond Dawes sees so much violence and death in a a way, or at least experiences close enough to it, that he decides that he's not going to carry a gun He's going to go into battle. He is going to do his part in the only way he thinks he can do his part, and that is by saving lives on the battlefield as a medic rather than saving lives by shooting those that are trying to kill him or his fellow uh, soldiers. The movie is a very odd mix because it's an inspirational film, it will certainly appeal to those who are deeply religious because his reasoning is, has its origin in Thou shalt Not Kill and the teachings of Jesus. And so Desmond Dawes is sort of a precursor to I guess the modern chaplain, as well as the importance of uh, medical personnel and medics on the battlefield. And I think that the story is, even if you know every bit of it, the movie still serves a purpose to personalize and entertain and move and prove that even though you know the story, there's there's it's still important to see it.
0: Well, this is so that's which we a, couldn't otherwise, even if they made it. I'm sure there's a documentary about it, but you know, right? Maybe so. Um, I you know, you and I were talking about this. I think it's one of the worst trailers I've seen in a long time because it seems to tell the entire story, and so you're saying that it is there is more to it than that, or at least it's told in a compelling enough way that it's...
1: I think it's that it's told in a compelling enough way. Yeah. I don't think that there's a whole lot more to what we already know about it. I mean, the fact is, the man went on the battlefield, distinguished himself by saving lives, tending to the wounds of those in his unit who were injured without ever firing a shot, without ever carrying a gun, without ever taking life on the on the battlefield. And it is... It is the most amazing story. I mean, I get kind of choked up thinking about it because it's an amazing thing that a man could be that true to his inner inner convictions that, in the face of being killed, he does not pick up arms. And it, they do they do a very good job uh, showing how his unit begrudgingly comes around to his. Underst- not his way of thinking, because they all carry guns and they fight. Right. But to depending on his inner convictions in order to uh, motivate them, and and you know we all have our place here. Right. Yeah. And that's I, what this is well, about. And, and it's it's just it's really impressive. And this is the movie that Mel Gibson needed to make, and I think it's award worthy. It should be seen, and it's not just inspirational, although it's deeply inspiring.
0: Hmm. I am not interested in it whatsoever. <laughs> oh, I, I, I respect
1: that. I respect that. But
0: do you do you remember when World War Two
1: movies were were the kind of movies that you wanted to see? I mean, there was a time when there was a whole spate of them, right in the in the time uh, during and after the war. All of these movies that I think celebrated the American military man, uh, all these movies that I think celebrated it, but also dealt with the conflicted nature of war itself. Sure. thats the,
0: I mean, that's the modern war novel and war story. It stops being purely patriotic and start asking—it starts asking questions about the nature of war and very often the nature of our involvement and the clash between a— so, you know, what some people believe to be a Christian society engaging in all of these, yeah. these wars and yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah, and that is really
1: front and center here, and that's mm-hmm. a very interesting part of it. You know, you have like a movie like, say, a trippy film like Catch-22, for example. It's really all over the map. And then you have this movie, which is grounded, uh, very traditional, very chronological, uh, you know, very square, and not apologizing for any of that. And it's not trying to do something that we haven't seen before, right. although it's celebrating a life that is, is, just, is, just, is just an unbelievable act of heroism many, many times over. you saved many, many, many
0: lives. It's yet another time <laughs> when we could have a discussion about whether we should uh, give this film due consideration because of its maker as well. You know, so here we have Mel Gibson, who, okay, I I was looking at the companies and there's a lot of little production companies involved in this summit is distributing it. And so that's an indication to me that, you know, Gibson probably isn't to the point where there are many major studios who are willing to sign on with him just yet. And so what I see happening here is resurrecting the career of a man who maybe doesn't deserve it.
1: That's a very, very good point. Obviously, we had it with The Birth of a Nation earlier this year. And this is
0: this is where it becomes really, really depressing. You know, um, I used to be able to shrug off this, this uh, question of, well, should you consider the artist when you're looking at the work of art? And it's getting more and more difficult to do that, you know? I think
1: there's a fundamental difference between uh, someone like uh, Mel Gibson and someone like... Um, Woody Allen? Well, no, Woody Allen's different. (laughs) He's never been prosecuted or tried to escape uh, prosecution. He's never had to deal with that. Uh, I guess Roman Polanski. Polanski was an incredibly sympathetic character uh, after the Manson tragedy. Uh, No one would, would have begrudged him sort of losing his way. And yet when he was given the opportunity to face the music and to do what he could have done, he escaped, He fled, and yeah. that damaged him forever. Mel Gibson, on the other hand, uh, made terrible errors in judgment, went through, uh, I guess, some horrible divorce, and said some terribly horrible things, and paid an unbelievable price for it, both criminally, uh, taking responsibility for drunk driving, and uh, also in the court of public opinion. So I, I think there's a very big fundamental difference between someone who is finding redemption after also facing the music, and someone who just never never took responsibility at all, escaped to another country, and that kind of thing. The same can be said with the filmmaker of The Birth of a Nation. He went through an unbelievable trial by fire by having to go through a jury trial and sit there as a very young man and be defended, but also be called everything. And then, sadly, uh, the victim in that case um, never recovered, and that was a, a horrible thing. But at the same time, there's a fundamental difference. Now, I think the manipulation of the birth of a nation story is unforgivable. Uh, that really bothers me. And that goes to the right. content of it. And we can have a whole other discussion with that. You're right. not having some... There's not. There are racial things and, and mentions in that in Hacksaw Ridge because race is, is an issue with Mel Gibson's sort of recovery, obviously. I haven't sure. seen Bloodfather. Sure. I want to see that I mean, movie. you
0: know, part of my problem is you know, the biggest... Uh, Hollywood Christian has said unbelievably offensive things, and in the context of what is going on politically and with the official church in this country, I, have, I find it all hard to stomach. Frankly, yeah. I'm, I'm I'm really tired of voices of Christian authority also being some of the most anti-Semitic and racist people in the public eye. Yeah, we
1: heard it, uh, some of the uh, the Donald Trump uh, supporters saying, Jew at the media, that all I, I heard things. that was Impressive, reported in the media. It's, uh, it's really a sad thing, um, although uh, I will champion this film. Uh, I don't think that it's so over, it's certainly not anti-Semitic. Um, the film doesn't contain anything like that. If anything, it is very hard on the Japanese. There also are some... Odd things with regard to the Japanese. The Japanese warriors, the Japanese military, is depicted as quite savage, but also every bit as honorable and sa- and, and and brave as the men that they're fighting. The American soldiers. Uh, I just, I have no way of, of knowing if a Japanese viewer or how a Japanese viewer would feel about that. Right, uh, right. This movie I certainly. I felt the same
0: way about Angelina Jolie's uh, war film. As much as I liked it. You yeah. Know, there you know, is if total. You're, if you're Japanese or Japanese American, gee, uh, that, that one's there hard is to say.
1: There is definitely a uh, connection between the two. They're both very handsomely made. Yeah. They look like the same cinematographer was employed the odd mix though is that when they get on the battlefield it goes from a kind of an upbeat inspirational film that would be pg rated to a to an r-rated thing Hmm. and i wanted to point out one thing uh when you're talking about uh big studios um and their attachment to mel gibson mel gibson is has a distinction of the passion of the christ being one of the most successful independently produced movies ever and so he's always been a bit on his marching to his own drummer and apart from everything. So I, I don't think he's in any different position, although raising money from any source is probably very difficult for him. After right. this, it might be a little easier this movie is which is exactly my point
0: but either way let's move on (laughs) okay
1: so fixed rating for Hacksaw Ridge the last film that is opening in limited release this week is the movie we talked about last time and it's Loving and this is the film about Mildred and Richard Loving and how they made uh, history by basically getting married Uh, Mildred is African American and uh, Richard is white they get married and then they're prosecuted for a crime in Virginia in the late 50s the crime of marrying one another. Right. And it apparently is some kind of felony. They could go to prison for this, and they're threatened with that, and they plea. And then that plea becomes the subject of a lawsuit uh, later on challenging that law. And one of the things that many of us take for granted, you know, I mean, I did marry uh, someone who was outside my race, but I don't know if that was prohibited under laws. And so I, I guess I have a personal connection in a way to the, to the story, the whole idea that you can't marry someone that you, that you love right. is just, you know, and, of course, it takes front and center with the, uh, the, the gay marriage um, and, and that. I, I think this is, this is such an unbelievably good movie <laughs> that, I mean, it's the best film I've seen this year, Wow! and I haven't seen a lot of the big ones. I mean, so far I've got Sully that I really liked. I liked Jungle Book really a lot, but it's not going to be best picture or anything. I did really like Hacksaw Ridge, and so, you know, I I think Loving is one of the frontrunners for the Oscar, and it's interesting because we have the Oscar So White campaign, and you know, The Birth of a Nation was supposed to save us from all of that. There was this perception that this was the year of this kind of film, but, you know, we forget that 12 Years a Slave Right. was directed by a, a a person from England who is black Nyongu won the Oscar right. uh, certainly that doesn't make amends for the disparity that exists in Hollywood you know, and certainly the rewards and right. the makeup of the of the of the academy I mean I'm not saying that but unfortunately the controversy surrounding birth of a nation is going to make that movie I think a very difficult sell to right. Academy voters
0: right yeah we will almost certainly come back to that discussion when we get closer to uh to the oscars and you know part of part of our argument um our, uh, well my argument would be that that's really too narrow a way to diagnose that problem anyway it's not just about the award ceremony it's not even just about the academy makeup for nor is it just
1: about race exactly because you've got it, 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 well it's at least not about
0: one race yeah. it should be yeah certainly and not. so so there's a just a shocking lack of uh, diversity, especially historically, but still in the contemporary uh, American industry. And so who gets to make movies? Who gets to tell uh, stories? Who gets to be in front of the camera and, in a diverse kinds of roles? Those are the
1: problems. Well, and, and what do we get to dress like on Halloween? It's really just, it, I mean, it's, it's an unbelievable world that we live in. I dressed as an Egyptian prince, and my wife was Cleopatra. And at some point in the evening, I realized that maybe this isn't what I need to be, okay? And then I thought, well, you know, what can I do? So I talked to a friend of mine, and he said, well, you could always tell people that you were making a statement about the gods of whitewashing and the gods of Egypt, there you, go. you see. So <laughs> I, I suppose I had an out, but just the idea that I had to kind of come up with that, I didn't, but uh, another person did, is very revealing. But the fact that we're having this discussion is so
0: important. You know, I, so this is a great, you, you set me up, because I want to tease some things we're going to talk about in a couple of weeks, which are a couple of documentaries, uh, I Am Not Your Negro, and and 13th, a couple of really great documentaries. I'm gonna watch them both. Part of my message here is that, you know, you, I don't know if everybody recognizes this yet, but we are finally, on a cinematic level, having the, the kinds of conversations we've needed to have for a very, very long time.
1: And would we have had it absent the Oscar So White tag uh, and
0: all of that campaign? Maybe well, not. Well, but, but mainstream Hollywood, you know, those are not the business entities that are supporting these endeavors. That's important to keep in mind. It's the indie world that is pushing this argument um, and deserves the credit for it. Well, you know, in addition to, of course, the people who create uh, these works. And so, anyway, so Loving, good movie. Oh, Loving's a great Ruth movie. This is Jeff star. Nichols.
1: <clears throat> this is Jeff Nichols. The movies he has made have all been uniformly fine. Mm-hmm. They, they've also demonstrated a real, as we discussed, a real understanding about Southern issues you know, he's a white guy, he's well-educated, but, you know, he wasn't immune to what was going on around him, and his personal experiences and understanding of Southern issues, uh, I think, come very much through. This is his most accessible film, although, you know, his last one was a science fiction film, so it was was very, very watchable, but this film is going to be most pleasing to the broadest amount of audience. Well... Uh,
0: I no would doubt. argue mud would probably be his most accessible, but I understand what you're saying. Well,
1: maybe his most accessible, but I said accessible.
0: That's what I meant. You Did thought so mud accessible? Mud was accessible? accessible? Sure.
1: Oh gosh, mud was mud was almost mud was like the companion to shotgun stories in that the narrative <laughs> the narrative was um was very it was it was like in the head of well the, the POV was that was really through the little boy. Sure. And so there was this kind of meandering Beauty to it.
0: No, no more so uh, than something like "Stand by Me." It's just a, a different. Sort of, um...
1: Well, there was a momentum to Stand By Me, and I haven't seen it in a while, and more of a structure than what was in Mud. I mean, I, I have a deep respect for all of Jeff Nichols' movies.
2: Yeah, Arguably,
1: we... his lesser film is Midnight Special because it kind of goes in conventional places. Right. But at the same time, there are elements of it that are that are creepy and intriguing, and I wish that we'd seen more of it. Um, so Loving gets a major major fix for me it's the best thing i've seen so far this year i would think i probably won't see anything that much better but you know there may be a bigger movie um this and welcome movie, to
0: november because it's legal for us to say such things now, i know it's right november. we're in november so we can start saying what what is the best i think seen.
1: i've reviewed 70 or mm-hmm. 80 films so far i've written reviews so i, I have sort of a context for it uh, of course i'm watching whatever marvel offering is every week so we, I had a chance to talk to Ruth Negga and Joel, Rid, uh, Joel, Rid, Joel uh, Edgerton uh, when he was in town. And uh, they sat down with me and several other journalists. And here's a couple of clips uh, from Ruth Negga talking about her character and Joel uh, Edgerton talking about his character. It is amazing how they really look the part, but the way in which they interact, the way in which they talk to one another to kind of set this up, It's almost like they're having a relationship on screen that I have not seen in many movies. These two people appear to love and care for one another on a very deep level and um you know whatever their relationship is off screen in terms of being friends and so forth they really brought it on screen Hmm. and um the intimacy that jeff nichols is able to work into the characterizations mainly through his use of the use of the camera but his use of silence and the way he had um Edgerton play this pinched character. I say pinched in that his shoulders are kind of hunched forward. He's got this little crew cut. His eyes are constantly darting around, but looking down. It's um, it's a really really special performance. Nega should should probably be recognized. I would assume that she's a front runner for uh, Academy Award uh, for Best Actress. I would think. Um, so let's hear from them. Can I call you? Rude of course yep. um, ever since on Preacher you built a bazooka out of some kind of soup cans
3: peach cans to be uh, precise peach cans that's it
1: uh, you were the coolest uh, actress on my radar oh thank you <laughs> um, over the top in, in Preacher and very subtle in this tell me about how you got into the personality of your character in Um
3: when it started off at the audition really or at the prospect of the audition Um, Francine Mazur the casting director had um, introduced my name to to Jeff um, Nichols and Sarah Green his producer and she said um, very kindly said see Ruth and so he sent me some sides some scenes from the script and they said would you please prepare these and come and come and see us and so um and they also sent me Nancy Bersky's documentary which I'm sure you've all heard of or seen which is fantastic not only for because it's it's full of footage contemporary footage of of the lovings but it also it's so brilliant because it actually gives you a sense of that time and place um so it was informative on many levels and I locked myself in my hotel room because I was filming something else I watched it over and over and over and over again and her voice is quite specific um, to specific to Virginia that area of Virginia and it's a different it has a different tonal quality to mine so I, that took some but I, I am interested in accents anyway in dialect so and I'm interested in people's physicality you know I think people are fascinating so it's actually a joy and so yeah so I took I took what I'd managed to um, scrabbled together in my room and presented it to <laughs> Jeff.
1: I have a question for Joel. Um, you have such few lines and, and you, you really emote and it's the way you two look at one another that conveys so much. Um, talk to us about your body language, the facial tics, there, there's some, uh, the posing, that hair, um, how did you become Richard here?
2: Look, I think from the beginning there was a sense, you know, and again, speaking of the documentary, and that, that was the first thing Jeff showed me, was that that Jeff was aiming from from the fabric of the clothes to the, the, the architecture and the cars across the board to sort of hit the center of the dartboard with the authenticity of. of of not not trying to recreate the documentary, but to tell the true story truthfully, and that meant that everything should strive for accuracy of time and period. And for us as as characters, we were there for introduced to to those this couple, and not and what I, by, by that I mean not just me being introduced to Richard and Ruth being introduced to Mildred, but there was something more than that than any other film I'd ever been involved with, in, like played real people before, but I've never then gone, not, not only that, but I'm striving to create a relationship as well as just an individual. So you know, I, I um, you, you know, the pit crew of of acting is is the hair, makeup, uh, and costume department who, without them, we, we couldn't create those characters. So the hair and everything, you know, that was thanks to those guys. And then to embody that, I think, energetically is very important. And, th- and that was what we were, y- you're looking at the clues in the documentary for. Um, I think Richard's posture, I really understood once I went off and tried to lay some brick for a while at a bricklaying school. And, um, but, but more so just trying to look at, the, look at what's there and, and ask yourself why. Why doesn't he talk? Why is his eyes moving around so much? And why does he have so many thoughts? What are those thoughts, and why is he only choosing to say one thing instead of the 50 million things he could say? Um, that stuff. And so you ask yourself a lot of questions, I think. And the questions, press the evidence in front of you, hopefully with the right intelligent conversation with the director and great actors, is, is, is what helps create not just that character, but that, that relationship as well.
1: Other films in release Inferno. <laughs> do you remember
0: that trilogy remember that franchise many many years ago yeah yeah um, i can't believe this because i think it was gosh um I, I i wouldn't even bother looking it up it's been something like eight or nine years ago that i was traveling uh abroad and we took a break one night by watching the second installment yeah, in yeah. this franchise with I, the parachuting pontiff and you have to yeah, exactly um you have to uh ewan mcgregor I know. I forgot just, about that. That's great. Um, was why why so are ridiculous. they still making these? Is there an audience? Well, apparently there is
1: a, a broad, probably on the back of Tom Hanks. He's, he's there, but he was in that Tom, Tom Tickfer film. Tickwer? Uh, Tick Is it Tickwer? Mm-hmm. Whatever it is. He, um, who's a mighty fine director, but can't seem to find his way ever since, you know, his, I guess he did Run Low the Run. I liked his contributions to Cloud Atlas. Right. But, that movie didn't do so well. That was the one that was called Hologram for King.
0: Oh, I, I think that's kind. I think it did very, very badly. Yeah, it did bad.
1: So sometimes Tom Hanks doesn't play that well. Sully is his movie this year. I mean, Tom Hanks is is terrific. He will, I would think, be nominated for Best Actor. I mean, the movie is all about him. I mean, obviously, the movie's called Sully. Right. But it's, uh, it's a really, really good film. This film... It's like you take the born identity you know, thing, guy on the run, that kind of thing. You throw it into Dan Brown's world and you set it a little older and you don't make Tom Hanks a guy that could kick anybody's butt. And, you know, the character, it's not like a born that kicks butt. Right. It's a born that kind of just kind of runs around in a. You know, out of so so the story here is that Tom Hanks, uh, who plays Robert Langdon, in the Da Vinci Code Dan Brown continuation. This is actually the adaptation of the fourth book in the series, and it's called Inferno. And he wakes up in a hospital. He's been shot in the head. But the bullet missed him, but has left him with amnesia. I mean, we got that old trope, Uh right? And so the doctor there knows everything about him. She's played by... Felicity Jones.
0: Felicity Jones. This is one of my issues with this franchise, by the way. So he has a different uh, pretty brunette with him in each film. It is Bond-esque.
1: It's (laughs) totally. She's the Bond. She's the Dan Brown girl, or the Langdon girl, I guess is what you'd call him. (laughs) And there is a funny scene where they introduce him. Or she introduces the girl, and she says, "Oh well, she's my niece." And then this lady looks at him and says, "Okay, doctor, you don't have to tell me the truth, <laughs> you know." And it's funny too because uh, I had uh, occasion to do an event filming with a, a fellow filmmaker of mine. Uh, we filmed at the Strand in uh, Marietta. It was the Radio Hall of Fame, and it was great because Bill Tush was the host. And so Bill gets up and he tells he had this book of this little like, pamphlet that had all these old. Uh, jokes from the 70s. And he had, he'd saved it since the 70s. So he got up as part of his shtick and told these little jokes. But one of his jokes was one of the guys who was honored, uh, I guess after he had passed away, uh, Bill knew. And Bill said, oh, that guy gave me the best line ever. He, I was at an event and he introduced me to this young lady that was with him. And he says, oh, this is my niece. Right, and that girl may have been his niece, but I use that line forever thereafter. <laughs> so anyway, there is some fun. Yeah, there is some fun that's in this film, uh, Inferno, but it's so incredibly. Dumb. <laughs> the story is basically a neo malthusian thing, right? The world is going to be overpopulated, mm-hmm. so the best thing we can do is take out a lot of people, and then those that survive will be stronger, better for it, there'll be enough resources to then sustain them. And the stupid part of it is, instead of just releasing this virus and effectuating this uh, this culling of of people, the guy who uh, is this billionaire who's crazy, who's played by Ben Foster he puts this virus somewhere and then leaves a trail of bread cl- crumbs at least that's what they tell you but then there's this twist in the story I don't want to spoil it I'd say that
0: that's the shtick of the whole franchise though you know but it's, it's dumb it's, a it's like if you puzzle. want to do this yeah. just you know I, I so so what it's I'm like hearing Tuco is go
1: from the good the bad and the ugly don't <laughs> talk just go ahead and shoot, <laughs> shoot. you know so. so this is,
0: this doesn't equal uh, Da Vinci Code, is it? Be, so it's better
1: than the second one.
0: Is it? Okay. Um, it, better either, or worse than National Treasure?
1: On par. Oh. Okay. Yeah, and it probably a little worse because National Treasure is at least um, very meta and self-aware it's of its own self aware of itself. I actually you like know. those movies. Yeah, it, it, I'd say that there's a little more fun with National Treasure. This one seems to be a little darker and more gritty. Um, There is a character in it played by um, Irfan Khan. Irfan Khan, yes. He is terrific. He's a great actor. He is great. I mean, after seeing this, I'm like, he could play James Bond. Yeah, I mean, he's terrific. So that part of it is worth seeing. Felicity Jones is interesting the uh, there there are some other characters in it that the the lady that is in Westworld she's one of the uh, corporate types in Westworld is in it i can't think of her name um, that's an interesting whole thing we could discuss westworld um, so i don't give it a fixed rating I and mean, there's no way i can give this a fixed rating it's just it's just it's just ill conceived yeah. in on so many levels and only passable because the first 20 minutes are kind of entertaining on a sort of born for an older set kind of thing, you know? So, uh, so not a fix rating for Inferno. So to recap, uh, you know, we've got three good movies opening this week. Doctor Strange, mm-hmm. fix rating. We've got Hacksaw Ridge, fix rating. And of course, Loving. Uh, Fix rating Inferno is going to fade.
0: I assume it'll stay in the top ten, but uh, I can imagine it got, it got beat by Medea's Christmas, oh, right? Yeah, that's Medea's that's...
1: Medea's Boo Halloween, which started oh, oh, it as it wasn't a even joke. Christmas; it was Halloween. Yeah. Do you know okay. that that Medea film started as a joke in um, Chris Rock's top five, <laughs> and so they I guess they heard it. And they went to, you know, Tyler Perry and said, what do you think? And he did it. And look, I mean, <laughs> he made like inferno. $30 million already. So good Jeez. for the Atlanta filmmaker, but, you know, hopefully right. he'll move on to so better projects.
0: So it's worth pointing out that the three that got a fixed rating here are very diverse films.
1: Yes, Lots they are. Lots to choose from. Absolutely. I mean, obviously the movie that's going to make the most money is Doctor Strange, but I think Hacksaw Ridge is going to take a bite out of the box I office, so, and too. I think it's got feet, or got legs, it's got feet, it's got feet, legs, you know. Sure. It's, going to, it's going to make it, so, yeah. And also, we can have the whole discussion about Mel Gibson again when nah, we discuss Nah, we don't need Oscars.
0: to. I'm, I apologize if, if things went political, but, you know, we are recording this less than a week out from the election, and so it's hard yeah. to escape it. Yeah, it's impossible. Go to the movies. Rather than watch Returns, right? Man. Okay, guys. So this has been The
1: Film Fix. I'm Jonathan W. Hickman. Jeff Marker here. And you can subscribe on iTunes. You can also subscribe on SoundCloud. Occasionally, you'll find this uh, on dailyfilmfix.com or on timesherald.com. And you've been listening to The Film Fix, where film buffs get their fix.